welcome to the second episode of Swing Stuff, the podcast in which we talk about swing dancing, swing music, and all of the various stuff that intersects with swing dance culture, both historically and today. My name is Ruby Bell, and today I spoke to Karantama Anumadu, who is a London-based jazz dancer and my dear friend, and is also an independent curator working in heritage and the arts. Last year, she won a Making History Award from the Mayor of London for her exhibition Platts, Princesses and Pink Moisturiser. She also works closely with the British Library, the Wellcome Collection and British charity Arts Emergency. Now, there are a lot of reasons why I wanted to speak to Karantima today. Uh, Not only is she an incredible dancer, but she is a wonderful storyteller and has a real passion for history and raising up others, particularly those who don't often have their stories told. I feel like to talk only about Karantima's dancing would be misrepresenting all of the things that make her who she is. And personally, I'm really interested in not only her dance story, but her work about black hair stories and the connection between hair and identity. I feel like in a big way this is related to swing dance culture and history, with Lindy Hop being historically an African-American art form. Today we talked about Karantama's experience as a solo jazz dancer and choreographer, her background in the art industry, as well as learning about black hair history in the 20th century through to today. So uh, enjoy, I hope we all learn something today, and here is our conversation. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so what is your name and where are you from? My name is Karantama. My surname is Annie Midu. My full name, Karantama Annie Midu. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from London, uh, East London to be exact. Wonderful. And um, what is your what is your dance story? And um, how did you find out about swing dancing, jazz dancing, um, Like, what was the initial thing that drew you to it? Well, my dance story, I was one of those kids who went to, like, a local church hall to go to dance classes every week. Um, So I went to Linda Carty Christie's School of Dance (laughs) in a church hall in Walthamstow um, every Wednesday and did tap belly and jazz. Um, And I did that from when I was about six um, to when I was about 16. Um, And... After I turned 16, I just kind of just didn't really want to go anymore because I was like too cool. Uh, and then I got interested in like netball and football and like other sports. So I stopped dancing and then I just didn't really dance again for ages. And then I went to a swing dance social randomly at Wilton's and um, I had no idea really what it was, but everyone looked very happy. And then uh, the diners who were a dance troupe, um, they were performing and I was like, oh, that looks fun. Um, and that kind of stuck in my mind. And then I saw that they were doing auditions a few weeks later. So I just went to audition very randomly and literally knew nothing. And they were saying like, uh, now do the this move. Now do Susie Q's. And I was like, okay. Did you just <laughs> like watch what other people were doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did, yeah. Um, now do Rusty Dusty. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but yeah. I could try. Um, but then randomly I got in and then the rest, I guess, is history as they say mm. and now you're like like co-queen of the diners right? yeah yeah the official title obviously co-queen yeah. yeah now i'm now i'm co-leading the diners which is which is mad that's great <laughs> yeah that's really cool so what dance styles do you find yourself doing today and what's your sort of current dance focus well i'm mostly doing solo jazz and um a little bit of lindy hop i think it was quite strange because i started um the swing dancing world by just doing solo jazz I didn't really start doing partner dancing so I was only doing solo jazz for a couple of years and then learned how to partner dance after and I only I didn't ever go to lessons I only learned through social dancing so I felt like I kind of did it in a roundabout way um so I'm mostly doing solo jazz still but I also quite like doing other styles of dance too so uh some like afro beats especially dance hall um, some hip hop sometimes um I like watching Strictly if that counts as also doing other dance styles yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> that's cool and do you like do you do it in a creative way or um is competitions more of a part of it for you like are you interested in choreography what what's mm. your sort of focus in that respect I really enjoy choreography I love it um and I think I'm really lucky that I get to do that with the diners now we, we train every Tuesday and I think uh what's 
great because most of my dance life now is actually doing the dinus um we have maybe four months where we do lots of like trips training like we do like stamina and abs and it so it feels like a workout and then you have like six months where you're doing like competitions and choreography so it's a really good balance of like fitness but also like creativity which I love yeah Mm. how do you choreograph it is it like do you visualize it in your head or do you like have to dance it out to a song what's that process like true story I choreograph in my dreams really yeah that's beautiful yeah I choreograph in my dreams and some sometimes like I'll do it in real life and it's terrible because obviously <laughs> during grandma <laughs> is, is, is doesn't know what she's doing she's got some uh, great yeah <laughs> yeah but I tend like I eight out of ten times the stuff I choreograph will be when I'm sleeping um which is also a great way of saving time um but usually it's it's music first so something would kind of just come to me when I'm listening to the music and then I usually will just assume that it's okay until I see it danced out and then I'm like okay that definitely doesn't work go back to sleep and dream again um or I just change it Mm, that's Mm. really cool have there been any highlights in your dance career so far um like I heard that you tapped for Zadie Smith that's pretty cool who told you (laughs) um yeah that was that was amazing I would say that was my peak (laughs) um yeah so I tap dance with um, a friend called Jess um, for Zadie Smith's uh, launch of Swing Time, which is one of her novels that she did, which was about um, these two women who fall in love with this clip of um, Jenny Logan tap dancing. And it's just about their two paths in life. Um, So, yeah, it, it was pretty crazy. Like... I'm a massive Zadie Smith fan, so I was trying to keep it together the whole time, but I was like a proper fangirl. Um, but it was for the book launch for Penguin, so it was like an internal conference. Like There were like a couple hundred people there, and we had to choreograph a tap dance to Formation by Beyonce. And I think I, if I thought about it too much, I'd probably just get too overwhelmed. So I kind of only thought about it when it was over. Um, but it, that was probably the highlight, I have to say. That's really cool. Yeah. Did you get to meet her? Yeah, yeah, we did. We met her a couple of times. Um she was really nice she you know she was backstage before we went on because we went on first to do the dance and then she came on to read a section of the book um and when we were backstage she was just like chatting to us and I was like please don't talk to me because I'm gonna (laughs) I'm just gonna get like too hot and sweaty and unfocused because I'm talking to Zadie Smith and then she was like oh I haven't washed my hair for ages and I was like oh my gosh I love it so much (laughs) yeah yeah Mm. oh that sounds so good so what do you do when you're not dancing when I'm not dancing, um, I do a lot of um, projects. <laughs> I like little projects. So I usually have like a project or two going on. Um, the main one at the moment is a project I'm doing on black women in hair. Um, and I've been doing a bit of that with the Waltham Forest Bath Culture this year. And then um, I also work at a charity called Arts Emergency, um, which is uh, sort of a network and a mentoring program for young people who want to work in the creative industries and it's young people who you don't usually see in the creative industries already so um, young people of colour, people with disabilities, people from low income families that kind of thing and I freelance in museums and galleries as well on the side so um, yeah that's about it. Can you tell me a bit about um, Arts Emergency? Do you notice working with young people um, that you meet many people who are interested in careers in dance and careers in music? And if so, what sort of resources are available for young people looking to work in dance? Yeah, I think there are lots of young people who are interested in dance music, but sometimes it doesn't seem like a career option. It's just an extracurricular activity. It's not something you can do that will make money and that you can, you know, you can make a life out of when you're older. Um, So I think a lot of them are put off by that and also by just not knowing what route to take to get into it. Um, But there are there are a lot of resources available. I think it's difficult because when you're at school, um, so we work with young people who are like 16 to 24, but we meet them when they're all in that year 12 or the first year of college. Um, When you're at school, the career support you get, unless you're at like a dance school or drama school, is not like you can be a dancer like it's usually like these are the these are the courses you can take to become a, a, a business person a doctor a lawyer an engineer um and some of them don't even get careers advice either so it's a bit like 
or like you just have no idea what to do um so I think having a mentor in that regard really helps so I say the the main resources out there are people who have done it before you and who can tell you what what to do um and I heard Ruby that you're a mentor with Arts Emergency and you do a really good job at doing that so yeah I think sometimes when you just have someone who's been through the same thing as you have it's just so much easier to know what route you're supposed to take yeah I think London in particular is such a hub for the arts as well and it just seems like from what I've heard from you and and from going to some of the arts emergency events there's so many arts industries that you cover and I think it's really lovely that I think for for a lot of people that I know who dance see it as very much a hobby and it's just so nice to see um like how much support is out there for the arts industry yeah particularly for people who don't typically have access to it so that's really nice to see yeah um so what did you study um so for my a levels i took german geography and biology which is a very strange combination but um i didn't know what i wanted to do at all and i ended up doing an archaeology and anthropology degree for my undergraduate and then i dropped archaeology because i thought it was so pants um it's not (laughs) it's for some people but it's not for me there's parts of it that i love and that i still do love but also we spent like a whole year learning about clay (laughs) and i was like i don't know how long i can do this give us a fact about clay i've what did you learn (laughs) wiped all the facts of clay out of my brain after that not even one (laughs) not (laughs) (laughs) not even for you ruby it was just it it was like learning i hope there aren't any archaeologists listening to this but it was like learning all the boring bits of history so like you'd learn about mesopotamia and the Egyptians, but you'd learn about clay and the soil. And like, you know, you wouldn't actually learn about any of the stories. So anyway, I dropped it. And then I did <laughs> anthropology, um, which was really cool, which is the study of humans. Um, and I did biological and social. So I was doing lots of like genetics and primates, but then also like language and culture. So that was really great. And I can tell you facts about primates, but yeah. not about clay. Um, so for my anthropology dissertation, I ended up doing it on dance and ethnicity in West Africa, but focusing on Ghana, where my family are from. So I went to Ghana for about a month or two months and learned some traditional dance and did some research and, um, spent a lot of time in the university library there. And I was really interested in how dance forms kind of morph and change um so i was really interested in how dance changed when you know black people were taken to the plantations and how traditional dance was used like as a form as a form of protest actually um so there's this book that i read called weapons of the week um and i don't remember who wrote it um but it was really interesting and it really struck me how the tools that people who are oppressed the things that they use to to feel powerful so it's things like using and a lot of it is using intangible things so you know like music or dance or poetry like storytelling things that people can't necessarily take away and that was a lot of the tools that slaves use when they were on plantations so you know when Sundays were like the day of rest uh, on on plantation so you're allowed to go to church you're allowed to do your hair <laughs> you're allowed to uh sing and dance which you weren't allowed to do during the week and i think a lot of you know a lot of um really rich heritage came from that so it came from a place of like trauma and struggle but a lot of dance was like you know a lot of dance that we know it now so like jazz dance that we know it now has got influences from then but also that came from africa so there's like even things like the charleston like there are there are charleston moves that are the same in congo and ghana you know like you can see that you can see where it's come from and it's and it's morphed and changed all that time where as the diaspora moves so that that really interested me and that was the, the yeah that was the first time i properly came to know what jazz jazz dancing was and the first time i heard about like Catherine dunham and martha graham and you know, pe- people who were, were women who were the founders of black dance, whatever black dance is, but you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was really interesting. And 
I really want to start researching that again actually because it was a long time ago now it's nearly 10 years so I feel like I kind of lost some of that knowledge but I think it's really important knowing that it came from actually a place of pain um because I think that has a lot of power in it um and that was yeah that was the first time I came into contact with jazz dance or like really started to understand like that those were the roots of jazz dance that's where it came from but it was a long time after that they actually started doing doing the dance then I did an MA about four years after I graduated in cultural heritage um and that finally was in the archaeology department at UCL so even though I tried to ditch it I ended up back in archaeology anyway <laughs> these things happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I feel like you might like find yourself in a dig one day and be like oh. <laughs> 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 That's cool. And so um, with your with your main project that you're doing now, Black Air Stories, um, did that start as part of your research when you were studying? Um, yeah, like, it tell did. Us about that. It did, yeah. So um, for my master's, uh, my dissertation was about um, black women and hair and heritage. And um, as part of that, I was looking um, a little bit of the archaeology of hair. So thinking about when certain hairstyles were first seen in the archaeological record, um, which was thousands of years ago, um, tens of thousands of years ago, actually. And then also thinking about how hair is connected to ideas of um, identity, um, like family, um, sexuality, gender. And looking at that in terms of heritage, so it's something that's passed on, like the skills and knowledge that's passed on through hair care. Um, and I loved it. I really loved doing it. And um, to be real, me and my supervisor had like a very terrible relationship <laughs> throughout throughout like the few months I was writing my dissertation where he was semi-retired. So he was, he was in his 80s. Um, a white man in his 80s he was an, he was an anthropologist the peak of his career was in the 70s and for anthropology which is quite a you know colonial subject yeah um we had like we just had kind of clashed a little bit and um so I found the process of writing it quite stressful even though it was a subject that I was really interested and in, really loved um so when I finished, I was like, oh, I've done all this research. I interviewed about 55 people for it. And um, I've read all these books and I, I really want to do more. So that's when I decided to to carry on and do the exhibition. Um, yeah. That's amazing. So like, how did it grow since that first dissertation? Um, I've noticed you've run like several events now and yeah. you have zines out. So yeah. how did that grow? Like, how long have you been working on this? Um, so I guess it was probably a year after I finished writing my dissertation um and the, the reason kind of why I chose hair to study was because it's quite an interesting it holds quite an interesting place in between what we used to call like tangible intangible heritage so it's something you can touch but it's also something like that represents culture intangibly so you can't really like put your finger on what it is but um I was interested in kind of exploring a little bit more and it's kind of something that has been quite present in my life for since I was born I guess um like hair care for, like within the black community especially black women um is it's quite important it's it's the time where you spend a lot of intimate time with your um with your carers especially like your mother your mothers and your grandmothers um it's them that teach you how to do your hair um like my mum used to spend three hours on a Friday night after swimming doing me and my sister's hair for example um and that was really the only proper time that we spent just together like me and her and my sister because she, she had like two jobs at the time and she worked quite hard um and you know she was you know, busy and we were busy just you know like family life is busy yeah. blah, blah blah but um and hair it has quite an important it's quite an important like symbol in a lot of um in a lot of African cultures and it it has quite a status symbol as well. So different hairstyles mean different things. You can tell things about people because of the hairstyles that they're wearing. Um, there's lots of things like you can, it's so malleable. You can do so much with it. You can add stuff to it. You can braid it. You can um, shave it. It's, it's, it's really varied, the things you can do, um, which is why it's such a big part of a lot of African cultures. So I really wanted to focus on that. And um, when I started doing the exhibition, 
I thought a good way of kind of getting the stories was focusing on objects. So I asked people to choose objects from their life that reminded them of something to do with their hair and use that as a focal point for them to tell their stories. Um, And then I worked with a photographer um, called Nana um, and we took their portraits with the objects. So, for example, one person chose sports medals and um, they chose sports medals because they wear hijab and they're uh, an amazing athlete. Um, This is a young person, they're about 18 years old. And they basically do like every single sport at school. And the only time they don't wear their scarf is when they're doing sports. And they they said that it's because that's really sacred to them. Like the sports is sacred to them and their religion is sacred to them too. Um, so that's the only time people will see them with, without without their scarf on. And it was quite an important part of her life. Um, so it was like stories like that. And it was stories like people choosing um, wigs because they never felt comfortable doing their own hair. Um, not knowing how to care for it, not knowing how best to style it, so they would just cover it with wigs. Um, and wigs are also a huge part of um, of like of black, black women's lives, like uh, for, for for ages. Like especially you know thinking about swing dancing and like Lindy, like in the thirties and forties, like wigs became massive um, to try and get you know the perfect like pink curl looks and things like that, which um, is harder to do when you have um, kinky hair kinky afro hair um so yeah it was it was what I loved about it was that people chose such different things but their stories were all so unique and even though I think hair seems like quite a simple thing it's actually like there's so much underneath it like there's so much interwoven with hair there's so much you can talk about I mean I could talk about it for hours (laughs) (laughs) well I mean you've been doing years of research so (laughs) that makes sense yeah Yeah, that's lovely. I really like from looking at some of the stories that you have um, shone a light on in your work, the ones that I found so interesting were the um, women that you interviewed at the, or the women that you spent time with at the African Caribbean Elders Club. Yeah. That's so nice. I love like hearing stories from that generation and particularly some of the women that are in your zine and um, in the exhibition like that were starting their own salons and being business owners and really interesting people um, in that time. Could you tell us a little bit about what it was like to spend time with them? Yes, it was amazing. <laughs> so um, it's a group of maybe like 30-ish over 70s who meet uh, twice a week um, in the community centre in Walthamstow. And um, I probably spent maybe like three days with them Um talking about what it was like when they first moved to the UK and their experiences with their hair and uh, firstly like they they just take no shit from anyone which (laughs) I obviously really admire (laughs) which is great um like when I came in oh sorry I was gonna say what sort of year like um or decades are we talking here so uh 40s 50s 60s right yeah most of them most of them were in the UK by the 60s I would say and some of them came on on the actual rin rush as well which was really which was amazing um but they they were saying things like when they first came to the UK it was impossible finding salons that would do their hair because they experienced quite a lot of racism and the white salons didn't want them in their shops so they would go to their friends houses and um you it was good to have a friend who was good at doing hair (laughs) because then you'd you'd get it for like a good price and it would happen like in their living rooms um but it became like quite a nice community um they, they were called like cottage salons um the the salons that were purpose built basically for 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 black people arriving from the caribbean and from um the continent um and it for them from what they said it was really important for them to look professional so most of them wore wigs or um relaxed their hair so with a with a chemical to relax it and to straighten up the curls so that they could then curl it before they went to bed and pin it and then let it out um especially the ones who were nurses so a few of them were nurses when they first came and they said it was extra important to be as professional looking as possible um but they were they were incredible and i think what was interesting was hearing about what their lives were like um back home compared to here so 
it wasn't just moving to the UK that made them want to experiment with their hair and try and professional like that was still something they were doing when they were when they were back home so a lot of them talked about when straightening became really popular doing anything they could to have to have straightened hair so doing it behind their parents back like um one of them used <laughs> used to use like a fork and when she said this I thought she meant like um like curling irons or something but mm. I, I was like oh it's so like curling irons she was like no like an actual fork I was like okay <laughs> so you used to so you used to um heat up a fork on like the paraffin heater and then use that in her hair to straighten it wow. yeah that's commitment yeah it's yeah. commitment um but I think it was it I you know they were 16 17 like yeah. I think we've we've also done like yeah. <laughs> stupid home stupid remedies. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Home remedies to get that hair looking fleek. Um, yeah, it it was really wonderful hearing their stories. And one of them brought in their photo album for me on the last day, and she showed me all the photos of her when she was. She's from Trinidad, so the photos from her in Trinidad, and then when she first moved to the UK. Um, and then she showed me this photo and she was like, oh yeah, this one I took at, um, Winifred Atwell salon. And I was like, you what? And it was, um, she'd written on it. Um, she was 18 years old. Um, and it was in her first month that she had moved to the UK and, um, it was taken um, just after she had had her hair um, straightened and curled by Winifred Atwell herself, which is incredible because Winifred Atwell was the was the first um, woman um, to open a hair salon in London catering for black people. It's, it's probably one of the first black hair salons um, in London, um, in Brixton. And um, she also then trained other people to, to learn how to do um, Afro-style hair. Um, and also trained loads of um, like white white people as well. So there were, there were white people also who were catering for black women, which also I think is quite special for the time. Um, this is in the fifties, um, and I just it was just by chance that she had that she had this photo, and I, and then she gave it to me to put in the exhibition. So like she lent it to me for like a couple of months. Um, I just thought it was so special. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she said that it must have been a really good hairstyle because um, Winifred didn't take photos of all the customers who came in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is before the days of like camera phones. Exactly. They had to get out the old roll of yeah, film. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful photo. It is a really yeah. beautiful photo. Yeah. Um, but so Winifred Atwell was someone I only came across when I was researching my dissertation. Um, but she was super cool. So aside from opening the first hair salon for black women, she was also a really famous um, ragtime pianist uh, and was the first black woman to sell a million records in the UK. That's amazing. Yeah. Like, that's incredible just to hear, like, she's a business owner. She's like a a black woman musician yeah. like a successful, a successful musician. Black woman musician yeah yeah like and and also you mentioned um i i first saw her on your black hair stories instagram yeah. and was like looking at all her photos and the the description you wrote and um she also had a, a her own tv show she had her own tv show so apparently she had a 10 part series that was on the BBC. So it was Winifred Atwell with, and then she had guests on her show and then she'd do some music, but I haven't been able to find any of the episodes and apparently they're all lost somewhere, somewhere in the dark corridors of the BBC, they're lost. But she must've probably been one of the first black women to have her own show in the UK. Like it's, and I never heard of her before, you know, before 2015. So yeah. I think it's amazing. There's a there was a mural of her in in Brixton a while ago. I don't know if it's still there. But. Okay. Oh, can can we listen to her music? Like, is her music available? Yeah, you can find her music on YouTube if you if you search. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. What a what an amazing person. Right. Really amazing. Yeah. I think she was um, classically trained as a pianist um, when she was living in Trinidad, and then and then started entertaining when she came to the UK. Wow. Mm. Yeah. What a lady. Cool lady. So what do we know about um, women in the swing era and later as well, like through the um, 40s, 50s, 60s, about how um, how black women styled their hair then, like if it's different to methods that are used now? Um, what do we know about that period? Yeah. Well, the, the style of hair was um, for black women was the same as with 
um, white women. Um, so, you know, pink cars, um, yeah, vic- not so much victory wells, but well, that was a bit earlier, wasn't it? I don't know. Was I feel it, like yeah. it's a real, it's a real mixed it's, bag, it's but a like, bag. yeah, I, I think what I've noticed is like pink rolls, um, brushed out victory rolls, anything. I think they just curled it and just pinned curled. it really. Yeah. I asked my nan in Australia, like thinking that she'd be really flattered and <laughs> be like, nan, how did you do your hair? And she was like, oh, I don't know. Just like pinned it and stuck <laughs> it in there. And yeah, um, she wasn't like too precious about it. So, um, yeah, so sim- similar hairstyles to to what the style, what the fashion was of the time. So yeah, yeah pins and curls. Um, but I guess the methods to get that would be a little a little different to now. So um, to relax your hair. So when you have Afro textured hair, um, the way to get it straight in order to you know curl it and then have it in in nice pin curls um is usually to relax it with chemical straightening cream um and that would have been quite popular then um but it's kind of been a bit of a journey for uh, the the haircut industry so when straightening cream kind of first became really popular it was actually much earlier on it was in the um 1900s in like the early 1900s um a woman called Annie Tanbo created I think the first proper relaxer um and it would be quite damaging for your hair so and before that people were using like lye and potato and would like mix it together and it'd be quite poisonous and it would burn your scalp and um I mean it still kind of does relaxing cream (laughs) but it's 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 much better than it was back then um like I, I had my hair relaxed when I was 16 for a few years and you know sometimes you go to the hair salon and then you, the your auntie be doing your hair would have would go and like answer a phone call for like an hour and she'd leave the relaxing your hair and be like burning your scalp and you couldn't like you want to be like ah oh, take it off but you couldn't scream blah 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 um so yeah it, I think the the methods would have been quite like laborious but um it would have it would have given you like the the nice curls that that everyone was wearing um and also wigs um which you know obviously people still wear today. Um, yeah, so the, the fashion was still the same, but I think the, the methods now are a little bit different. Yeah, there's a bit of a backlash in for some parts of the black community against relaxing because they think that oh well, a it's it's it can be painful and it's not it's not good for your hair if you do it for a long time it can cause lots of breakage. Um, some people say it's linked to cancer um, and to fibroids and things in in black women um but also some people believe that if you relax your hair you're trying to be more european um which was true because you know it was important to feel like you were fitting into the society that you were now living in for women who were migrating to the uk so it wasn't important it was an important part of it was probably really great actually like to feel like you could go into a work setting and not stand out because you have you know afro textured hair in the 40s like I think it was probably a big step for women to be able to do that kind of thing to their hair but obviously now it's it's a bit different in some ways yeah. <laughs> in some ways it's a bit different like I think still there's a bit of um stigma if you have hair that is not deemed professional looking enough which is usually straight and sleek yeah you know like there's been so many cases of women who have been reprimanded at work or at school um in the army um things like that for not having professional looking enough hair and that usually means that it's not straight (laughs) it usually means that it's either um an afro like textured hair or that it's cornrowed or braided or something that's not deemed you know the this not like the status quo basically yeah yeah i think that's a bit silly as well to have like a notion of what professional means. Mm. i think it's yeah it's worth saying those things out loud, like, and really being like, but what, but what do you but mean? What do you mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Let's break that down. Yeah. 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 Are there any resources that you would recommend for people who want to learn more about black hair history and what's going on today as well? Yeah. Um, there's a great book called Don't Touch My Hair by Emma Dubbery, uh, which goes into the history of black hair. It's amazing. Um, it was released earlier this year. 
Um, I was a bit gutted that it wasn't released while I was writing my dissertation because that would have been <laughs> a godsend. Um, but that's a really, really good book. I read it like twice over. It's really, it's really good. And goes into a lot of details about the history of um, of black hair. Um, in terms of like hairstyling, there's um, um, a person called Sandra Gittens who's written loads of hairstyling books about Afro-textured hair, which are, which are really interesting. And she goes into the, like, the science of hair as well, which you don't really hear about so much. Um, and then there's lots of like Instagram accounts on on hair. Um, yeah, I would say the Emma Dabry book, basically. Mm. Also, just like a mini question. Yeah. Um, you make really good zines. That's not a question. <laughs> that's more of a statement. Um, but you make great zines, and my question is how. <laughs> <laughs> And go. Um, thank you first. You're um, yeah, I so the zine that I made w- was about black women in hair. Um, how did I make it? A lot of cutting and sticking, um, scanning and photocopying. Um, but what I I guess I just wanted a place where all the things I had learned and all the um, like photography I collected and illustrations I had done and like poetry and stuff. I just wanted a place where they could all be, they could all exist. Um, so that's why I made it. And it was hard, but it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. So I think like the idea with zine making is that anyone can do it. And um, like you can do one that will, you can like bash one out in an hour. Um, the one I I did took me about three months okay Um, (laughs) but like there's yeah you know there's different levels of like scene making that's what I love about it is that it can be it can be as detailed a project as you want it to be um I mean I made the very first scene I made um was basically I I cut out photos of men from the new economist magazine and then drew different hairstyles on them and then (laughs) like literally like folded up an A4 piece of paper into four and then and then stuck them on there and that was the first scene I was like yes accomplished so like uh you know that took me about an hour <laughs> and then the, <laughs> so I think it, it I I really encourage any like everyone to make scenes because I think it's a really good outlet and usually you end up being way more creative than you set out to be in the first place hmm that's really cool. Can we buy your zine? Yeah, you can. That's cool. You can. You can buy it um, from my website, uh, which is Um That is such a good domain. Uh, I know. I was Congratulations. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I was like, if I don't buy it, no one else is going to because there's no other Karantamas. Um You can also buy it from um, Houseman's Bookshop, which is um, on Caledonian Road. About five minutes from King's Cross. King's yes. Cross is is a very big deal. It's a I'm big, just gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm chuffed actually because Houseman's is like one of my favorite bookshops in the world. They do a lot of um, feminist books and um, they do loads of cool events. And they've been around for a long time since the seventies. So they they've got like they're 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 really cool. I'm really I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm happy I'm too. happy and amazed, yeah. But you can you can buy some of that too. Have you got any sort of um hopes and dreams? <laughs> I have so many hopes and dreams yeah. and wishes, yeah. Um so something I've been doing on the sly for the last year is going to the jazz um archives mm. which are in Loughton. They're just like in the room above Loughton Library. And I've just I just really wanna find out more about what was happening <laughs> like in the UK. Yes. Because there isn't really that much information readily available um, than there is about the US, which is fair enough because, I mean, it was the home. It was the home of chats, you know, the US. Yeah. Um, but I'd really love to know more about what was kind of going on in the UK, especially would like to find out about some rad black women, <laughs> yeah. um, which I think might be quite hard to find. But I, I'm kind of like been aching <laughs> for some like, for some knowledge about about what what was going on in that time yeah. um so yeah i've been going to the jazz library for a while looking for stuff um and i hope eventually to be able to have like enough information to do something with it so i don't know another exhibition or something but i would i would really like i would i'm just wait i'm just waiting to find something that yeah, will, yeah that will, that's incredible yeah. um what i mean what's that 
um what are the jazz archives like is it mainly like books or is it records and- yeah it's loads of loads and loads of magazines mm. um and loads of books yeah and there are some photographs and stuff as well but i haven't i haven't cracked into those ones yet um but there's i've so so far i've just been going through lots of the jazz magazines and like like lots of back dated issues and stuff which is really cool yeah um and it's free and like it's on the central line like it's really accessible (laughs) (laughs) um yeah but i i guess what yeah one of my dreams and wishes is to is to a have more knowledge about um what was happening in in the in the jazz scene in that time and also more knowledge about what all the black ladies were up to in that time and i would love to know more about um some of the because I guess you know during wartime that's when a lot of um the you know a lot of jazz got transferred from the US here um and I just feel like I want to be more connected to like the, the the heritage of it all um I've been watching a lot of videos of some women who I really admire um so some of them include Joyce Bryant who is an amazing glamour icon who I love. Um, Jenny Lagon, who was like a kick-ass tap dancer. Um, Mabel Lee, obviously, who had like such an incredible style. Um, Josephine Baker. I mean, there are so many like amazing women. Some of them we know a lot about, some of them we really don't know enough about at all. And I just want to fill my mind with knowledge basically so that's that's where I'm at at the minute it's just filling my mind with lots of knowledge and hopefully after maybe a year's time I'll have enough to do something with it we should do a follow-up podcast like in a year's time and be like or however long it takes and be like what do we learn from the jazz archives yeah that would be cool I'd love that yeah let's do it (laughs) um yeah that's that's great I um I would love to see more of that as well like I think we just need more more solid forms of history as well. I feel like so much of um so much of it kind of falls through the cracks and it's yeah. like on you know like little YouTube clips that kind of go up and then get taken down and it's just hard to hold it in your hands. Mm. Yeah. Um, there was that great exhibition at the Barbican last year, Women of Jazz, mm. and it, but it wasn't big enough. Like I wanted I could have stayed in there for like another two hours. Like I wanted more. Yeah. Um, but that that was like maybe the first time that I had seen all this all the stuff about women in jazz in one place. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's been how many years? Like there should be more there should be more of that. Yeah. 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 I think um one of my friends is starting a podcast as well and probably by the time this is out her podcast will be out as well but her um podcast is called women in jazz amazing and she's interviewing like the premise is that she interviews um various women musicians playing jazz music um to shine more of a light on them Mm -hmm. and um yeah just get more visibility for um great women musicians can't wait so yeah me too me too so You've also got um, Savoy Cup coming up. Now, that's uh, um, quite a big event for yourself and um, the diners from from what I've noticed. And um, how are you feeling about that? I am so excited and also immensely nervous. Like, Savoy Cup is, is, is a really important part, I think, of of the the swing scene and the level is so high and I feel like the expectations are quite high as well of the groups that compete so the pressure is definitely on and I think what is so nice about diners is that we there's genuine like genuine love of the dance like it's never about this is gonna sound like a lie but it's not it's like (laughs) genuinely never never about doing the best or like winning everything like it generally isn't like it's actually about like love loving the dance that we do and that's what is so is so great about it like I'm not a very competitive person so um (laughs) so I I guess you know the co-leading it now um I I don't know whether that rubs off I mean it doesn't mean that I don't care about it it just means that I, I prefer to have lots of fun yeah and then and then but then we all like work hard which is so good but yeah I think I think everyone's feeling quite quite excited about 
about you know, we've got songs that we really love and um i think everyone's been quite excited about sharing it um it's been such a mad ride with savoy i think because like when i i've been i started teaching steiners last year just before savoy last year yeah so that was like my first proper choreography was doing savoy last year so obviously oh. i was like holy shit like this is like i had like massive shoes to fill because ash who led it before me was like an institution and savoy by that time was also massive and like it just felt like a lot but i'm i'm was i feel really happy with how it went and i think yeah we're all really excited about next year that's great yeah it's gonna be really fun it's so cool being part of a group there's like 25 of us we're all very different um and it's the most it's so easy it's so like easy going every week and like being part of that massive group and I don't feel like it's that normal to be part of a group that big and for it to be that easy and like chill it's great <laughs> how many um events are you entering we're doing uh the chorus line vintage clip and cabaret so three yeah good luck yeah. thank you thank <laughs> you cool. yeah it's gonna be fun yeah yeah and um so where can we find you on the internet well you can find me on instagram um at black dot hair dot stories um and also on my website which is um yeah karanzima.com um and i lurk on twitter but i don't really i just retweet memes that i see so <laughs> you can catch me there too if you want to see some memes you have great taste in memes thank you thanks i actually appreciate that because you've got I great don't taste tell, in memes thank you i don't say that to everyone as well i'm very selective <laughs> with my meme judgment <laughs> um cool well um i actually wanted to ask you a bonus question as well I'm going to um, maybe like add it in like, like I, I don't know. I've just thought of one off the top of my okay, head. Go for it. Um, what's your favorite solo jazz move? Ooh, what is my favorite solo jazz move? That's a good question. Can I do top three or do I have to choose one? No, only one. <laughs> Dictator. <laughs> It's no, you probably, can do your top three, but then uh, okay, but then you have to choose okay, from fine. those three. Squat Charleston, wow, bold is in there. Mm-hmm. I love a shorty George. I really like a short George, and I like a fishtail. Out mm. of those three, maybe a Squat Charleston. You know, yeah, yeah. There's something that feels quite powerful about a Squat Charleston and yes. surprising. Yes, yeah okay that i'm gonna choose that that's my favorite okay. one that's cool yeah. and um yeah this like rapid fire what's your favorite um current favorite swing song like if you had to put something on now and have a dance a bit curveball but nature boy i really mm. like it's not you, which, it's which very it's very slow recording? it's really slow like nina but simone I really like it yeah mm. does that count yep yeah yeah i would say so okay well i can't it's yeah it is quite slow it's really slow yeah you can you can you could dance to it i mean you can dance to anything right beautiful song though beautiful song. yeah i would yeah. do you want to choose another one um maybe go top three again. okay yeah can i open up my spotify yeah okay granta has got her finger pointed at me it's very threatening <laughs> Okay, so I've been listening to a lot of International Sweethearts of Rhythm mm-hmm. songs at the minute. So I think maybe one of my favourites of them, any of their songs. Does that okay. count? Yeah, <laughs> two of their songs. <laughs> Does that count? Yeah. Okay, I, okay I'll choose one. Okay, 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 okay. No, I do yeah. have I do have one that I'm listening to a lot. Yeah. St. James Infirmary. Mm. Okay, I'm I'm listening to that yeah. a lot recently. Yeah. Okay, let's go for that one. Okay. But then also <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna choose an international sweethearts of rhythm song, mm. I like Blue Lou. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's really okay, nice. That's totally, that's totally it. 
Well, thanks for answering my impromptu question. Thank you. Um, handled like a pro. Um, maybe not asked like a pro, mm-hmm. but you know. <laughs> Can I shout out some my, of my Instagram Absolutely. people? So I really like the Swing Patrol Instagram and I think Cynthia, who runs it, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Because she always puts some really good, this isn't the only reason why I think it's great, but she does always put some really great um, black vintage influences on it, who I obviously like really like because it's quite hard to find black influences in the vintage era, especially people who do stuff with their hair. Yeah. So I just want to shout out Miss Tamis Savoy, who's so How do we spell great. That? Um, Miss underscore Tammy T A M I Savoy. And um, they always do really great hair challenges, um, which are really cool. Also, um, Life on Mars 96, Life underscore on underscore Mars 96, who does really great fashion, like vintage fashion looks. And the Urban Pinup. They're like my, um, I'm like the fangirls. No, You're... I'm their fangirl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we get the idea. Yeah. So like... I really like them. Yeah. <laughs> and Crew McKenzie also, sorry, Crew McKenzie is really cool because she has braids and does vintage style with her braids. And for the longest time when I had my braids in my hair, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to take them out before I do this competition or do this performance because I can't make my hair into a vintage star with them in. And she does really cool vintage stars with braids, and I think that's really, like, inspirational. What is her handle? Her handle is um, at Crew McKenzie, K-R-U McKenzie. All one, like, all one, okay. all one word. Yeah. Great. Everybody go and follow the aforementioned Instagrams. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on this podcast thank today. Thank you. It was so lovely to speak to you. It was so nice speaking. (laughs) (laughs) I love to speak. I love to speak. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much. (laughs) Bye. Thank you so much to Karantima for coming on the show. Uh, Everybody go and buy her zine. It's great. And Karantima's great. Also, a big thank you to the Shirttail Stompers for their recording of Tifa 2, uh, which is our show theme tune. If you would like to support the podcast, we are on Patreon. So any support you can offer goes towards the time and resources it takes to produce the show. And it keeps me producing future episodes. You can learn more at patreon.com slash wingstuffpodcast. You can also find all our social links at swingstuff.com or if you want to find my personal page, it's rubybell.co.uk. Thank you for listening today and I will see you next month for more chats on the Swing Stuff podcast. <laughs>